0: Father, we just come to you, the author, the finisher of our faith. The work you begin, you will finish. Help us to surrender each day to your word, to your spirit. Help us, Lord, help us. In our weakness, you be our strength. Help us to obey by faith. And that obedience that comes from faith, help us. Oh, it to be perfected in our lives before you come. We don't want to stand before you with empty hands. We don't want to stand before you and hear nothing from your lips. And just to be included in your home just as a member. But to come in as a profitable servant, O oh Lord. That's our desire, I believe. So help us not to be hearers of the word, but also to be doers of the word, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Speak to us this morning. We wait at your feet. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 For this morning's meditation, we start with Exodus 14. Yes? And verses 10 to 14. When the Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. It's a very powerful, powerful passage in the history of Israel when they are hemmed up on all sides. Every side is blocked. There is no way they can turn to any other side. And God has to miraculously intervene if they need to escape with their lives. Today I want to to basically title the message about How do we handle the pressure that is coming or is already upon many in these last days? How do we handle pressure? The children of Israel have been just been delivered from the very oppressive hand of Pharaoh. Remember, these are all real incidents in history. But why we study them is as examples or as types in scripture. One of the fundamental lessons we learn, and I have learned personally from the Exodus from Egypt, the people who came out of Egypt, that they represents the three types of people you find in any church, three types of people who come out of Egypt and cross the Red Sea. One, you have the multitude of Israelites a number is given to us, a specific number is given to us, 600,000 men and women and children besides. Then, scripture also talks about another large multitude with them who are called the mixed multitude. The multitude of Israelites, the mixed multitude, and then a small group represented by Moses. These three groups Are those who came out of Egypt. And these three groups are also that are found in any church. Now don't look at your neighbor and say you are the mixed multitude. Don't, that's not your job, okay? (laughs) That, leave it alone. Okay, because suddenly mind will start working. I wonder who this one is. Israelite, Moses, or mixed multitude? No, we do not know. Only the Lord knows. Okay. The question is, How do you know? How do you judge yourself? You can be any of these three. And you can choose to end up as the third group. That's the beauty of salvation. You can be a mixed multitude and end up like Moses. You can be an Israelite and end up like Moses. God doesn't stop you. We stop ourselves by our unbelief. Okay? But if you look at why... The reasons behind uh, how they came out, we will also be able to apply to ourselves. Why did Israel come out of Egypt? In Exodus 2, verses 23 to 24, and now it happened in the process of that time, the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. There are so many people who have come to church and found christ found salvation because of situations they went through in life death sickness poverty trouble family troubles office trouble you no know, friend says why don't you come to church and because of trouble they were groaning they were crying out in their trouble and god heard them that was the reason they came out okay then there is a second group. The second group is mentioned in Exodus 12 and verse uh, 38 and 39. A mixed multitude went up with them also. And flocks and herds a great deal of livestock. That's enough. 39 is not enough. A mixed multitude also went up with them. Okay, Israelites groaned. The mixed multitude did not groan. Okay? It's never ever written in the Bible they groaned. Israelites groaned. God sent Moses over there. He did these incredible miracles which were judgments upon Egypt. And the Israelites left and the mixed multitude followed. Why do the mixed multitude leave Egypt? Because everybody seems to be going in that direction. I will also go. They really have no real conviction. But right now, this is the in crowd. These are people who follow a trend. When Christianity is popular, they go with the flow. Whichever church is popular, whichever trend is popular, at that point when they looked, Egypt has been judged, it's all death and pestilences. or Israelites seems to be doing good. I'm going with them. Okay, whichever is popular, they go with them. But also remember, when the going gets tough and trouble comes, they are also the first one to complain, the first one to grumble. Then there is a third group represented as a type. Okay, third group. You will see, now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. They are the one who starts crying and the others also start crying. The crying is always started by the mixed multitude because they have no real conviction. Okay. Then, I like I said, there is a third group represented by Moses. This is the group that is described by the writer of Hebrews later in Hebrews 11, verse 24 to 27, by faith. But children of Israel, it is never mentioned by faith. The mixed multitude, it is never mentioned by faith. Okay, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather, no, this is a choice. He makes a choice. The others didn't make choices like this. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is the third group. What is the key of the third group, which every one of us should end up as, if you really want to end our race, we should follow him who is Invisible. It's easy to follow somebody that is visible, but we are called to follow him who is invisible. And when we follow him who is invisible, we are often, if not always, called to suffer affliction and reproach. Cause, because we are called, that's only then you will endure because you see him who you see him. It's a very, it's a very strange sentence. How can you see somebody who is invisible? By faith. Okay. So when we deal with a problem, when you deal with a problem, if you want to talk about medical, medical today, especially not in the days where I grew up, when I, the days when I grew up, medicine was very simple. When you fell ill, you went to the doctor. The old doctor was there. The nurse was there. They had something they mixed with their pestle and this thing, a pink colored liquid. You drank it, you were well. That was one medicine for everything. Really? Yes, am I right? Yes. Not this antibiotics and hundred different tablets. Nothing. We never got any of those things. If you, if you ever got prescribed a tablet, then it was an event. And then you felt like a hero in your class saying, you know what, I got tablet. But everybody, everybody. And I still remember years back when I was at IFLU, when there was a team that came in from Kerala to see IFLU, And there was a st- student one of them, one of the profs from there knew me. He called me and said, can I meet you over there? And one of the kids in that group was sick. And he asked me, Sir, do I get that mixture anywhere here in the medical shop? I said, no, sir, you don't get it here. It is not available. But today, it's so diversified that if you really want to find out what is a disease, pin it down. Who is the expert? The pathologist, the radiologist, and the physician actually makes his decisions based on their report. They give the report. So spiritually, also we need to be, have what is called discernment. That's where discernment comes. You need to have spiritual discernment to look and see, where am I going? Because there can be a movement. All left Egypt. Everybody left Egypt. Outwardly, except for one group, the rest, the huge. Multitude and mixed multitude look the same, absolutely the same outwardly. Look at them in 1st Corinthians 10. Moreover, brethren, this is talking about the entire group. I don't want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that was, that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. What is common in these five verses is all, 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 all. And if I were to look from here, all have believed. Except for the young ones, all got baptized. All come to church regularly on Sunday. All listen to the word. All I believe have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But the fifth words only God knows. Are you getting? Outwardly the entire group looked the same. Entire group looked the same. You couldn't distinguish it. They look the same. When you are going through this process, everybody looked the same. In the same way, everybody came out of Egypt. Once you are in the ark, remember Noah's ark, once you are out of Egypt, your movement is decided by you and not by Moses. Moses can only bring you out of Egypt. He cannot take you into the promised land. Your movement is decided by you. He can do all these ordinances like I can. I can baptize you. I can pray over you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I can spend my hours studying the word. Try to give you the best I can. I can pray over I can do everything. There is one thing I cannot do. I cannot take you to heaven. Because I can only take myself to heaven. But I can promise you. If rapture takes place. And I am gone. You are here. Stand on the truth I taught you. If rapture takes place, I am left behind. I will take you through tribulation. Both ways committed. But, you have to decide your movement. Um, Do you want to stay in the lower deck? Choice is yours. You want to move to the middle deck? Choice is yours. You want to move to the upper deck? Choice is yours. And upper deck, you want to listen to Noah and be obedient to him? Your, Your choice. Everywhere there is A division. There is only one door. It doesn't say there was a door between the lower deck and the middle deck. There is no door there. There is no door. You decide where you want to be. You make your choice as you move further. Because there is always the danger of Israel being replicated in the church. In its 2000 year history. Especially when a church grows or becomes popular. I'm not talking about our church, okay? A lot of people come in who never had a direct calling or a direct encounter with the living Lord. Of these three groups, you will see only Moses had a personal, very real encounter with the living God. The new covenant, unlike the old covenant, is entirely composed of people who have personal encounters with the living God. You cannot be born a Christian. You have to be born again to be a Christian. You can be born a Jew. You can be born a Muslim. You can be born a Buddhist. You can be born a Hindu. You can be born a Jain. You can be born into any religion. You cannot be born a Christian because God does not have grandchildren. He has only children. Everyone has to be born again. To be a child of God. Which involves a personal encounter. A personal surrender. And a personal receiving of his salvation. That's the major issue. When a movement begins. Many join the group for different reasons. When Israel became a movement. Probably of two million souls. Moving supposedly in one direction. A lot of people joined the movement. And one of the reasons they joined the movement was because of the spectacular things that was happening in Egypt. When the church began in Jerusalem, suddenly with a bang, 3,000 were added. Then large numbers were being added. The question is never about how leaders handle the movement, though it's important. It's what does God do? You will always see God's ways are different. To get Pharaoh release Israel, he sent 10 plagues or 10 judgments. After the 10 judgments were over, Israel was released, Pharaoh pursued, and it was total destruction for Pharaoh and his army. To Israel and the large group that came out, they also had 10 tests in the wilderness. 10 times they failed. And God said, Enough. That's it. Enough. Now I brought you. I won't take you in. But I'll take care of you for the next 38 years. Ten. Like we said last. Yesterday I was telling the pastors. This is the tenth month of the year. It's a good time to examine ourselves. Okay. Yet. Through the very judgments of God. That came in the wilderness. Upon God's own people. People. A refined group or a remnant would possess the promised land. The church too goes through the same pattern. When the church in Jerusalem was getting very popular and very big and very comfortable, God just turned the tables a little. So Acts 1-8 was, you oh know, you don't have to turn there. Happened. They, he moved to Acts 8-1. What is Acts 8-1? Saul was consenting to his death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. What did he do? He uses persecution to purify and test our faith. You see, it would have been easier for these groups of 5 and 10 and 15 if one of the apostles had gone with them. If there is persecution in the church and we are scattered, 15 of you go to Warangal, I come with you, you are very happy. Right? A pastor is with us. One group goes to uh, Vijay Varda, Pastor Vijay goes with you, you are very happy. The rest of them will wonder what will be. He didn't send any of the apostles with them. He said, now you stand on your own. Let's see what you heard and learned and experience will work with you. Persecution can take many shapes. It can arise in your own family. It can arise in your office. It can be at a social level. It can be at a national level. Basically it tells you pressure will actually define how real is your faith. How genuine is your experience? Is it just following your father's religion? Or following a movement which was popular for a certain period? Or did you really know this person called Jesus Christ? A large multitude flocks this church too. I'm not speaking about this hall, I'm talking about around the world. Because our hits on the net A week is over 30 or 35,000. Who are they? Only God knows. Which groups do they belong? Only God knows. But our God-given duty is to see that every saint knows who you really are and why you are here. Maybe you came to church because of your problems. You were groaning under the weight of oppression, you are facing at home or office and someone told you go to church, there God answers. If you remain with only that conviction, your faith will only last as long as a problem is solved. Once it is solved, slowly you will slip out of the same door that you came by. Or maybe you don't get your answer after a few weeks and then you go back from where you came. Remember, as soon as they faced their first hurdle, the Israelites, when they faced their first hurdle, you heard their cry? They said to Moses, they were very afraid. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt. No graves in Egypt. Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Narrative changed. Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Aside as a joke. If you go to mainline churches, okay, I'm not condemning them, but because we were all, I was part of one. Because fights are over the cemetery. Because cemetery space is very restricted now. Okay. Whenever a Christian starts fighting about graves, you know where he has come from. You know he hasn't really left Egypt. His attachments are still to his body. He's more worried about where I will be buried than where I will be if I die. This is connected with Egypt. This is purely connected with Egypt. And I can prove to you from scripture. The only one man living on earth, who lived on earth, who knew exactly when he was going to die, did not worry about his graveyard. You go through the book of Acts and all, they just died. Who was buried? Where you are buried after you are dead. But if you turn with me to the book of Genesis, I didn't give you that portion, uh, but if you turn with me to the book of Genesis and you come to chapter 50 and verse 11, 50 and verse 11. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name is called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. Mizrem is the ancient name of Egypt. That's why in our regional languages, we will say, God brought Israel out of Mishra all our original language, it is not called Egypt, it is called Malayalam, it is called Misra Desa. Mizraim is the old name of Egypt. Who's being buried here? Jacob is being buried here, but in Egyptian style. And it is called the morning of Mizraim. When you have lived so long in Egypt, all you are concerned is I want to be buried in this way. You're not looking at your eternal destiny and destination. Therefore, the minute they are facing danger, they are saying, what are you going to do? We will all just die and our bodies will be just in this wilderness. We're our graves in. We would have got a proper funeral in Egypt. With a marble plaque also. Son of this one. That's how you judge yourself. Where am I going? Where is my heart? Because everybody here has to start thinking about death. You could die any day. You can bury me wherever you want. Throw it in the garbage bin also. It doesn't bother me at all. Because I won't be there to be worried. It doesn't honestly doesn't bother me. But I have seen people are so bothered and so worried. Why? Because your attachment is still to misery. Understand how you look. How you look. How you look forward to these things. So. There is this group that comes because of problems. There is this group that comes because of the movement. But when trouble comes, suddenly our heart is exposed. Our heart is immediately exposed. The Israelites' heart is exposed immediately. Why did you bring us here? Why did you bring us here? And if we do not have a leadership like Moses who has encountered the one who is invisible, the leadership will crumble and will compromise and take you back to Egypt. You know, when Moses comes down from the mountain, scripture says when Moses saw the people had run wild, who let them go wild? Aaron, the priesthood had failed. The priesthood had failed. When the priesthood fails, when the leadership fails, when pressure comes, the leadership will give the people what they are asking for. What do you want? Okay, you want a golden calf, right? I'll give it to you, golden cup. Big deal. You want me to preach on prosperity? I'll give it to you. Well, I can do well. Both ways. I can speak about Yahweh. I can speak about prosperity too. What do you want? I can take Baal... And name him Yahweh too, if you want. That's what he said. He made the golden calf and said, Oh Israel, this is Elohim that brought you out of Egypt. Why? Pressure. Pressure comes. Why does, pre- pressure can come at any level, not at the bottom level, not at the mixed multitude at Israel level, the pressure can come at the leadership level. Why? Because Aaron never encountered the living God like Moses did. Never did. Therefore he did not have the convictions of Moses. If you aspire to serve the living God in full time ministry, better have a real encounter with the living God. You may fail, you may fall, but you will never take your eyes off him. You know you will rise and you will go back. All of them failed. Moses failed, Paul failed, Peter failed, but they all they had seen the one who was invisible. And you, each one in the new covenant has to meet the one who is invisible. Do we have Moses' conviction? Do we have Abraham's conviction? In Genesis 24, 5 and 6, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? Six, Abraham said, beware that you do not take my son back. Do we have that conviction? Do we have that conviction? No. He said, no way. My son will not go back. You will not take my son back. I have left that forever. I ain't going back. I tell my own children. You know what, you have the freedom to choose. But let me be very sure. You choose to marry an unbeliever. I won't stop you. I won't be there for your wedding. Be very sure. I ain't going back. There's no going back. There's no going back. Are you sure about your convictions? Do you have convictions? Have you seen the invisible one? Abraham's convictions were very clear. He's an old man. Old man. His son is 40 years old. That means he's 140 years old now. 140 years old. His wife is gone. His wife is dead. He's the only man there and he's got a son. It's time to get married. And the, the, the servant doesn't have his encounter with Abraham's God. Because even when he goes and prays and falls on his face, he will say, God of my master Abraham. He won't say, my God. Do you have convictions, young people? You want to last out the last days? You will have to see him who is invisible. I'm not saying you will not, and I and you will not fall or fail thereafter. Maybe many times. But you will rise up and go because you saw him who was invisible. Abraham, when he entered the promised land, had seen him at Moray near As soon as he enters the promised land, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 7 says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Who had appeared to him. Earlier he had heard his voice. Now he had encountered the living God. Moses saw him in the burning bush. Jacob met him at the river Jabok. Daniel met him in the lion's den. Daniel's three friends met him in the furnace. The 120 met him in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Saul of Tarsus met him on the road to Damascus. Each one of us need to have our personal Pentecost if you want to survive. Or else we'll be just part of a movement. And when the movement faces pressure we will start crying out exactly like the Israelites or the mixed multitude. Because it is the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. First the mixed multitude will cry and then the Israelites will join. First the crowds will leave and then the disciples will leave. It's not different in the Old or the New Covenant. John 6 and verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. First the crowds left, then the disciples left. First the mixed multitude cried, then the Israelites cried. We think it is different. No. Don't ever presume if these disciples who walked with Jesus and experienced his power could leave him, we will not. When pressure comes, don't ever presume. Never presume. Be very, very sure that he will look you and me in the eye and ask the same question he asked them. Then Jesus said to the duel, do you also want to go away? I look at all these children, Jesus' children, all of them. Look at these children. You cross 18, you cross 20, you get to your job and you move out. Ask yourself, will you come back to church? Because now you have to come. You have no choice. El sande will tear you apart if you don't come. But that's not the point. The point is, do you know Will you you will come back or not that day. You know it now. It's not that you will know it then. You know it now itself. Will you? That's why we ask these questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where do I fit in? Because much of the large group that left Egypt never saw anything as a vision. They were never committed to anything except their own well-being. But they had the ability to cause a lot of problems. Sooner or later, when you do not have a clear vision or commitment, you will start missing the old world. You start lusting after Egyptian food, just like them. I divided these three groups into three divisions as first group, the mixed multitude, as those with a divided heart. The second group, Israelites, as those with a single heart. Meaning they are very single. Not towards God, but themselves. Can never, they are very, very careful about their up being. There are many like that in the church, and the world. They are absolutely single-minded. They come to church, they are regular, they take down all the notes, but you look, go through their lives at the end, they were absolutely single-minded, pursuing their own dream. The double-minded, the single-minded, or the divided heart, the single heart, and then most of the surrendered heart. Now you can move from there, where you come to the surrendered heart. This is not condemnation, this is examination slowly watch in your hearts if there is a quiet subtle distaste for the word of god growing in our hearts quiet very subtle first of course when we begin this journey exodus 16:31 what does it say the house of israel called its name manna It was like white coriander seed. The taste of it was like wafers made with honey. It's like honey in the rock. He is my everything. That's when we sing, he is my everything. He is my all. Oh, taste and see, we tell everybody, oh, taste, come to my church. and Listen to the word. It is like honey. A little later. We don't like it so much. Okay, We have to do something with the word of God before it starts being tasty. It's also described in the Bible in Numbers 11 verse 8. The people went about and gathered it, ground it on millstones, beat it on mortar, cooked it in pans and made cakes of it. Its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. Now I like it only fried. Did you enjoy last Sunday's message? No, pastor didn't fry it enough. Earlier it was just honey. Raw they ate like wafers. It was so good. Now it's not so good. Now now from being disciples of the word we have become critiques of the word. There's a slight problem here. should have been better this way. Now they started pounding it. They gathered it and now they are grinding it and now they are Beating it, and now they are cooking it in pans, and they made cakes of it, and its taste was like the taste of pastry. We love pastry, right? I don't, you like pastry, right? Some like it. Fried, otherwise they cried. You see, stages. Then comes the third stage. The third stage is described in verses four and six. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving and the children of Israel also wept. See, the children of Israel also were weeping inside. They were looking for somebody to start. You know about that? You see, one dog in that yard started, suddenly you see every dog. All of them were waiting for only for this dog to begin. So don't think these fellows were different. The mixed multitude started and they echoed. Everybody wept. What are they weeping about? Listen. <laughs> Who will give us meat to eat? We remember. Wow. Wow. We remember. You, I mean, you guys don't watch debates and all. You should watch the U.S. election debates, you know. One is over to, tonight, tomorrow, tonight, our, uh, our tomorrow morning, day night is the second debate. Oh, you have to listen to Hillary Clinton quote from memory everything Trump has said in the past 40 years of his life. Yet she swore before the FBI 36 times, I don't remember, when they questioned about her email. 36 times she said, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't remember. But you can remember the faults of your opponent. You cannot remember what you did as Secretary of State. Why? Oh, we remember. You have forgotten everything God has done for you, but you remember the fish you ate in Egypt. It's the same cycle all over, 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 over again. Do you remember what God did? What did God do? Do you remember what God did for you last year? Do you remember what God did for you the year before? No, I don't remember. All I can remember now is that, you know what? We ate fish. We ate the cucumbers, melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. You see, we are not only missing the meat, we are missing our salad too. With dressing, of course. You see, we were used to a very healthy diet in Egypt, meat and salads. Now, Our whole being is dried up. Plump little fellows marching in the desert. What they are saying? We are dried up. Scripture says there was none feeble among them. None ill among them. What is their response? No, we are dried up. Don't you look at us? There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now, you may think this doesn't happen in churches. It does. It happens in churches. Every church began like us. It was the primacy of the word of God. It was built around the word of God, the preaching of the word of God, any church. Then the mixed multitude came in after a generation or two. They said, it's very boring. We like it fried. We like it boiled. And this preaching of the word is too long and too boring. So what they had? They brought choreo, they brought drama, they brought everything in sports, no car. Now church is full of everything else except the word. have to see how patterns, patterns develop, can happen to our life too. Instead of sitting with the word of God. You know what? It's so boring. I prefer watching a Christian movie. For what? What about this? Christian movie is good. Once a week or once in two weeks or once a month. It is fine. It just relaxes you. But this is where you encounter him. And often Christian movies do not depict Jesus properly. Who told you Jesus had long hair? Who told you? If Jesus had long hair, would Paul say it is a shame for a man to have long hair? And Holy Spirit write it? Some medieval Crackpot painted him with long hair and everybody took it and ran with it. Then the others took it, make him blonde and made his eyes also blue. Who told you? He has no picture over here. Movies do not depict scripture. It depicts the imagination of man. But this is not imagination. This is where he is revealed as he is. But we get tired. Do we get tired? Now, the whole camp is dr- crying. And what are they crying? And the response, we are tired of this manna. Are you tired of this manna? But it hasn't kept you on the narrow path? Hasn't kept you from trouble? Hasn't kept your marriages stable? Hasn't kept your home steady? Hasn't given you a hope and a future? Hasn't kept you fed, clothed, dressed and taken care of? What did it? It was the word. But are you tired? At the end of three and a half years, remember, the multitudes and the Israelites were tired of Jesus too. This is when manna had become a living person and walked among them and blessed them and sustained them and healed them and fed them and delivered them like nobody had ever done in their midst. But after three and a half years, they also got tired. And in John 19 verse 15, sorry, John 19 and verse 15, they cried. What they cry? Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? the chief priest answered and said we have no king but Caesar what did the Israelites say let's go back to Pharaoh but the next generation of Israelites 2000 years 4000 years later say Caesar is our king what are you talking about yeah, Yeshua is not our king our king is Caesar who is he chief priest who is our king Caesar is our king the world is coming very close again to that point. 2,000 years ago, the world said, take away, away with him, away with him, crucify him. But this time, the world's anger is not directed at him because he's not around, but at his true bride everywhere. Away with her, away with her, away with her. And you know what? He said, okay, I receive your word, I'm taking her. So how do you and I stay the course? We stay the course by learning from those who went before us. By seeing him who is invisible and following him. Because there is enormous pressure wherever, doesn't matter what your age is. There is pressure. Enormous pressure from the mixed multitude and the rest of the multitude to conform all of us face pressure. You in your schools, in your colleges, to be, become like one of us. Why do you think these children keep on changing hairstyles? Pressure. In your offices, become like us. Why do you dress differently on a Sunday? You think I didn't know, right? Offices, tomorrow it's a different costume altogether. Why? Pressure. It's true. My pastor acknowledges with me. Why? Pressure. You want to look different, but you want to look different in Sunday, all here differently because you want to be accepted primarily by me. But tomorrow, you want to be accepted by somebody else. Why? Heart is divided. In your offices, you face pressure, become like one of us. In the ministry, you face pressure, become like one of us. You have no clue the advice I hear from pastors, how things should be done. I say, brother, I don't do stuff like that. Why? Because it is written. Oh, no but, I said. Hang in. There are no buts here. No way. There are only one way. In which God says you can do things his way. And we try to know it and walk in that. The mixed multitude, the divided heart, comes up with good logic. Remember, logically they are brilliant. The mixed multitude's logic is very brilliant. So never underestimate the wisdom of the world because it's very reasonable. In this chapter, Numbers 11, let me ask you this question. To ask for meat... Isn't it good logic? Let me ask you this question. Except for me, So I'm, I'm separating myself. Who among you can eat the same food every day? I can. If I if you give me what I'm used to, I can eat three sixty-five days a week. You don't have to give me anything different. Can you? It's very good logic, but it's a very simple logic what do you think, breakfast manna, lunch manna dinner manna manna, 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 seven days a week why we can't have a little change that's why in even our GSOs, LHL all you have menu on this thing, Sunday menu, Monday menu Tuesday menu, Wednesday menu Israelites have no menu, why? manna isn't it excellent logic that you change the menu because it is monotonous isn't it? It's monotonous. It's logic. It's absolutely logical. Who can eat the same food every day? The problem is when logic comes comes in, usually God goes out. Because faith is not logical. Many saints have left the kingdom life because of very good logic. The mixed multitude was the root of most of the problems. So is our divided heart. In James 1 verses 7 and 8, scripture says, James 1 verses 7 and 8, he says, a divided person. If for, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Maybe from your manager, but not from the Lord. Why? He's a double-minded person. If your heart is divided, God won't give it to you, he says. He won't. You need to understand even true leadership. True leadership buckled under the pressure of the multitude. Whether it is old covenant or new covenant, true leadership, genuine God-ordained, God-anointed leadership have buckled under pressure. And Moses buckled under pressure as Peter will buckle under pressure later. Moses, read Numbers 11. How Moses. Moses said to the Lord, now this is Moses' leaders. Dialogue with God. Very logical. Okay? Very logical. Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not favor found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them? That you should say to me, carry them on your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you sowed to your fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. Did you ever read these verses what Moses is actually telling God? It's very logical. Nothing he says is illogical, he's saying very, very logical. Very, very logical. He says, you know, I can't handle this pressure anymore. Please, I cannot handle this pressure anymore. Did I beget them? Did I bring them? And why are you making me carry this load? God says, Okay, fine. Very logical. You put me in a spot. Okay, you want a logical answer, not my answer, but a logical answer, okay, get 70 people. I'll put my spirit on them. How people break under pressure. This can happen in any any family, any organization, any church, any setting. Pressure. What if the mother and the children gang up against the father who happens to believe? Or the man and the children gang against the mother who happens to believe. Or the mother and the father and the rest of the family gang against one child who happens to believe. We don't realize. Everyone faces the pressure of the mixed multitude. What happens in the hostel if 10 of you pretend one thing before your supervisors and yet there is only one who believes and when they are out of sight, 10 of you put pressure on the others. Like Peter said that day. Remember? I don't forget stuff which he said. Peter said that day when he came to worship, he said, one of the kids said, what did he say? Peter Anna, don't. Don't show off. Right? Don't show off. You know what? It was not a judgment on Peter. It was a judgment on that kid. He was revealing what was in his heart because if he were to come here, he would be showing off and not worshipping. We don't sometimes realize most of the stuff we often say casually is a revelation of our own heart because he only saw this as performance and not as worship. Because when they stand over here, they are performing because elders are standing at the back and not worshipping. That's the truth. That's the truth. He may be a kid, but he spoke honestly. But not about him, about himself. He didn't realize it was a judgment on him and not on him. Because he worships. But he doesn't. The other one doesn't. So sometimes we need to realize about under pressure what we say is a Revelation of our own heart. God says, okay, I will respond to your prayer. Seventy. Did God answer his prayer? Listen carefully. Did God answer his prayer? Yes. Seventy people are chosen. They even prophesied. The question is, did God honor his prayer? No. You will never hear about the seventy being used Anywhere in the record of Exodus or Numbers, the burden is still on Moses' shoulder. Just because God answered your prayer does not mean He has honored your prayer. Be careful. These are two different things. These are, you will not hear about the 70 anymore in the Exodus account or the Numbers account. He never used them. One time they came, they prophesied that's all. After that, it is still Moses. The burden is still on him. You will hear about the 70 later. You will see them in Ezekiel doing abominable things. And you will see them at a the midnight or hour holding a kangaroo coat and deciding to crucify Jesus. He answered his prayer. He didn't honor it. Be careful, because his prayer was so legal, legal, careful we have to be, that it literally put God in a spot, he listened to his prayer, go back, go back, Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted you? Your servant. Why have I not favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of these people on me? Very correct. Did I conceive all these people? No, I didn't. You did. Did I beget them? No, I didn't. You did. Why should you say that? Carry them in your bosom as a garden. Everything he says is right. Legally, he's absolutely right. And I know so many people who legally are absolutely correct because they quote scripture back to him. And you said so, you said so, you said so, you said so. God said, okay, take it. I did say, but that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. I will answer your prayer, but I will not honor it. That's why the book of Psalms says he gave them what they asked, but he sent leanness into their souls. It's not the same. Because these are all these heresies floating in the churches, that if your prayer is answered, God is with you. His prayer also was answered. The people's prayer also was answered. The complaint of the mixed multitude was logical the complaint of the mixed multitude was logical. Moses' anger was logical. His prayer to God was logical. God's initial answer was logical. Seventy men. More than enough meat. Then scripture says there was a plague in their midst. And so many died. Why Lord when you are answering my prayer a plague is coming? Because I just answered your prayer. I did not Honour your prayer. For a prayer to be answered and a prayer to be honoured are two different things. Because our God is not a God often of logic. Through these dark times we live in, be careful how you walk, what you ask, and what you do. Because there is a corporate and a personal lesson involved here. We must be aware of the mixed multitude And we must be aware of our own divided hearts. We are not condemning them. We are judging ourselves on this 10th month. Is my heart divided? When people are not really committed to church life, they do a lot because of the trend. Their person is not involved, but their deeds are. Now you can do everything, in a setting, without getting really involved, like illustration. If you are, a by chance, a maid in a home, you are doing everything in that house without the person actually involved in the house life. There is a life. There is a work. The maid comes in the morning, tang dang, 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 she cooks everything and she has gone. Did she work in the house? Yes, is the work a blessing for the house? But is her life involved with the life of the house? No. You can do the same thing in the church. You can be involved in so many activities of the church without your life being involved with the life of Christ which is united with the church. The danger of Israel, the danger of the church. The person is actually really not involved but deeds are. We should never be people who just attend meetings and do activities. And meanwhile, we have our own life. If we live our own life, pursuing our own desires, yet also live the church life, it may seem logical. Nine out of ten people within the church will advise you to do that, but God won't. But the issue is, God saw Israel has one entity, sharing a common life and sees the church as the body of Christ, as one entity and sharing the same life. He doesn't see us two separate. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, when one man in that multitude, maybe 2 million people are there, one man, the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took over the accursed things. Who did? Achan did. But what does God say? Israel did. Did Israel know? No, they didn't. Nobody knew except Achan and his family. Nobody had any clue that Achan had stolen. But God said Israel has stolen. Why? Because he says, I do not see you as separate entities. I see you as one entity, one body, Israel. You are my firstborn son. You are not separate entities. You are one. You are one. You are one. Verse 10 and 11. He's falling on his face. Joshua is crying. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Get Get up. Israel has sinned. Did you say Akan has sinned? It's so easy for God. Joshua, come here. You're praying, I will tell you. You know the guy who stole that fellow from the tribe of Judah, Akan? Just separate him. God says, no. You go through the ringer. Separate tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family until you get him. Let the pain be felt by everybody. Because it's one man, yet it is the whole. So easy, Right? God doesn't do stuff that way. Israel's history, church's history is the same. When the church begins, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, the multitude, again, multitude, but one. They were those who believed of one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. One body. One body. One body. One mind. One soul. One possession. They all had different homes, but they did not say this is my home. They said our home. Chapter five, verse one. But a certain man called Ananias and Sapphira came there and broke that unity in that body with an activity without involving their person with the body of Christ and God said I will judge you right now right here because you are breaking the life of Christ here why do you think they were judged? same reason why Akan was judged Same reason. The same old covenant and the new covenant. Here God calls Israel my firstborn son. Here he calls church. The body of Christ has his only begotten son. Both are sons. One body. On the road to Damascus when Saul of Tarsus is accosted by God, do you remember the question Jesus asked him? In Acts chapter 9, verse 4, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Did he say that? He didn't say Because if he says that, then he's denying scripture in totality. He says, no, why are you persecuting me? I and my body are one. You touch them, you touch me. Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? We can never understand God according to logic. We can only know Him according to His person, His presence. The Israelites already had the tabernacle, which is the presence, the living presence of God when all these things happened. The mixed multitude was logical. Israel was logical. Moses' prayer was logical. The only one who saw it as illogical was God. Why? Why? Because God said, you know what you are saying? You guys are all saying one thing. You are actually saying, you are not satisfied with me. You are not satisfied with me. And he judged the whole situation. Jesus was very, very careful not to lose. According to the logic of the crowds. The crowds were there. Family crowd was there. Multitude outside was there. Disciple crowd was there. Many crowds he also faced. He also faced these crowds at every point in his life. John chapter 7 verses 3 and 4 is very logical. Absolutely logical. His brothers. Wow. His brothers. James, Jude. We will hear about them later in scripture. Post salvation. Post resurrection. James and Jude said, said to him depart from here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly if you do these things show yourself to the world come on brother what is this if you really are planning on a ministry and have to be to have a worldwide ministry why don't you print pamphlets why don't you put posters everywhere Why didn't you hire one of those vans and put your picture and your wife's picture and take it all? Because that's what you want, right? You want a ministry. What is brothers saying in today's terms? Why don't you? Because that's what you want to do. Anyone while himself seeks to be known. But the problem is he doesn't understand his heart. I don't want to be known. I have a work to do. That's my job. I don't want to be known. Look at what his brothers are saying. Very logical. Very logical. In these eight years, nine years, you know how many logical ideas I have received? How to make the church grow? I said, no, if it grows, it's because of this and this alone. Not even worship. Worship should be good. But people shouldn't come because of worship. Then they will go for music. Music hasn't saved anybody. The words of the music has words of the music has. If it is scripture that saves. Has anybody accept the Lord because of a guitar? No. Even ask old king Saul he will say whenever he played the music the anointing, the evil spirit went and as soon as the music stopped he came back. But the word gets in, the fellow leaves and it doesn't come back. Because now the living word is inside. Not because of anything. Because it's upon this rock. Word of God, my church will be built. So many ideas. They are not bad ideas and they are not bad people, but they are very logical. Remember Sarah's logic. Wonderful logic. In Genesis 16, Sarah said to Abraham, See now, because the problem is the logic becomes more powerful when we invoke the name of the Lord. The Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Oh, the one who promised you you will have a child is now restraining you also. Wow, what a theology. Auntie Sarah, hmm? from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Where did this logic come from? The mixed multitude around whom she is living. That is their logic. Oh, this man who is in Canaan doesn't have a child. His wife is barren. He has through the maid servant, and she takes it as own. She said that's a good logic to apply here. We've been here for 10 years. Wonderful logic, right? John chapter 6, 14 and 15. Then those men, when they had seen the sign Jesus did. What is the sign? Roti mila paid bare mila. Everybody ate. They were so full. And then they saw a sight. Twelve disciples going with twelve baskets full. And they were thinking Bapre, Bap isko Raja banayega, toh pura khayega. That's what they're thinking, man, this truly the prophet who has come into the world. What has prophecy do got to do with filling your stomach? Look at their interpretation. Therefore when Jesus perceived spirit of discernment that they were about to come and take him by force for what? To make him king. He departed again to the mountain and was alone. He says, you know what? I know you guys. Mills, multitude. You want to make me king. Why? Because you ate bread. In verse 26, when they, oh, they are zeal you have to, he's gone. They got into boats and they're rowing and pushing and they Lord, where did you go? Don't you see me are such zealous followers? He said, wait a minute. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. That's why you seek me. You're not after me. You are not filling the pews for me. You are filling the pews for what you can get out of me. That's the reason you are here. It's exactly what he tells them. The mixed multitude, the crowd that follow. This is what he told them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. After being assembled together with them, he commanded them. He, commanded. he not said them, advised, he commanded them. He said, okay guys, You've been faithful. You've stuck with me through it all. Now I'm commanding you: don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. Verse 80 will says, "When he comes, you shall receive power; of the Holy Spirit shall come upon you." You see, this one thing people have taken it under because when, whenever we hear power, we uh, have a shock one power. I was telling the pastors yesterday, do you know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. Scripture says, John 3, 34, if I am right, without measure he was filled. Right? Without measure. He does not give them for God by measure. Jesus was given with filled to the brim. So, if somebody is full. How does he come? John 14. How did he come? Full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace and full of truth. Did you ever realize that is the filling of the Holy Spirit? And more in filling of the Holy Spirit means you get filled more with grace and more with truth. Did you ever read it that way? Because the Holy Spirit is called in the Bible has the spirit of truth and the spirit of grace. No, power, man, power. Come, let people fall when I walk around them. All you need is to electricity. What they call it, taser. Use a taser, people will still fall. Full of grace, full of truth. No, honey. That demands an emptying. That demands a unity in your soul. That demands a surrender from you. That's how it works. He's just telling me, you've been with me for three and a half years. You have learned how to minister. You have seen the results too. But this is going to be completely different ball game. Once I am gone, the physical me is gone. You will face pressure like never known to man. To the point he will warn them at the end of the age, it will be like this. In Matthew 24, 4, then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been seen since the beginning of the world. What Hitler did, what Mussolini did, what ISIS did is nothing, he says, compared to what is coming. That if God himself were not to shorten those days, nobody will be sorry. It would be a holocaust with the whole of humanity is wiped out. And he says, to survive what is coming. You need my spirit. Unless you have your personal encounter with the living God and choose to remain in his presence by choice each day, he says, you will not survive. You must stop being people who serve God according to logic. Your entire person should be involved, involved in serving God, the whole person should be involved in serving God. Don't fragment yourself. Your life has to be one whole committed to God. Do you believe? Do you believe? That's why Jesus said in Luke 14 and verse 28, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? Moses counted the cost right in the beginning. He counted. By the time forty day forty years in the wilderness was there, he counted his cost and he left Egypt. No going back to Egypt, no treasures of Egypt, willingly receive the reproach of Christ. Have you counted the cost? Have you counted? You go through the pages of the Bible. Go through the pages of Bible and find one man of God who doesn't experience heartache, experience loneliness, and who does not bear reproach because he or she chose to follow him who was invisible. There was in one among them who was socially popular person in the Bible who chose to follow Christ. Abel was killed by his brother. For following Christ. Noah was despised for his message. And at the end of 120 years of a ministry of preaching righteousness. Got seven converts which was from his family. Joseph was sold to the slaves. Moses was despised by both his family and his race. Elijah was so depressed until he thought he was the only one left. Isaiah preached to absolutely deaf ears. Jeremiah wept his whole life. Daniel had the company of lions and his friends chose fire for their convictions. David was chased for the 14 years of his life and was served by his own blood and flesh son. John the Baptist's head was served at a party on a, on a platter. Stephen was stoned outside the gates of Jerusalem. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was sawn into two. John was exiled in Patmos. All because the Son of Man chose to hang on a cross. They chose to identify with him. They all saw him who was invisible. And made a decision which was absolutely spiritual. And that decision you and I have to make at some point in our life, which Hebrews 13 says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. The question is, are we willing Are you willing to share his reproach? Are you willing to share his heartache? You travel. Take your Bible tonight. Go through the pages of the Bible. Go through each of the person over there. Why did they go through all this? Simply because they saw him, one who was invisible. For a minute, when you read the accounts in Genesis and other books, just don't read it as scripture and just meditate. Meditate means take a portion and think over it over and over and over and over again. Over, over, over and over. Read Genesis 7, verses 7 to 10. And so Noah with his sons, his wife and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean animals, of animals that were unclean, of birds, of everything that creeps on the earth. And verse 9. Two by two they went into the ark of Noah, male and female as God had commanded, and it came to pass after. Pass after? Let me ask you this question. Do you see these people? Do you see that old man sitting outside his tent in Mamre? One of the richest men of his generation, never allowed to build a house, never allowed to settle anywhere, doesn't even have a child. He's 99 years old, sitting outside and wondering, Lord, what am I doing? But I chose to follow you who was invisible. I am away from my father's land. I am away from my flesh and blood. I know I can never go back and I will not go back. What am I doing here? Do you think he didn't wonder? His name was Abraham. Dweller of tents. Do you see this man? The last seven days. Today is Sunday. Seven more days, I will be 600 years old. My birthday is seven days. The most agonizing seven days of his life. Seven days. The door is open. He is in. His family is in. Animals are in. You are in. Now you cannot get out and you're looking at the door. Lord, I pray my brother will come in with his family. Honey, is, is anybody coming? No. Mrs. Noah might say, Can I go and try once more? He says, No, we are in. We cannot get out now. Just wait. Just wait. Shem must have said, you know what? Can I go? My wife is crying. Can I go ask her father and mother one more time? No, you cannot. Do you know what he must have gone with his family the last seven days? You are in the ark. The door is open. Seven days you are watching. Will somebody come? Will somebody come? Will somebody come? I have been preaching for 120 years. Will somebody come? Will somebody come on the seventh day? What they hear is, boom. Door is shut. No one is in. No one is in. Nobody came in. Seven days God left it open. Last seven days. If you believe, you can get in. No questions asked. If you believe in the blood of Jesus Christ, your past is gone, your sins are wiped out, everything you did is forgotten, just believe and get in. Last seven days. Noah is waiting, Mrs. Noah is waiting, Shem is waiting, Ham is waiting, Japheth is waiting, their wives are waiting, probably all holding seven days watch night vigil, praying, praying Lord, one person, one Lord, one. Nobody came. Nobody came. And it was shut. And they were shut in. These all were willing to go outside the camp and bear his reproach. They were glorified only after the judgment was over. Before judgment, they bore reproach in their generation. After judgment, there was glory. Oh, thank you Lord, we are alive. Oh, there is glory set for another day. Not now. His glory, eyes haven't seen or ears heard what God is preparing for those who love Him. But those who love Him will bear His reproach now and glory then. Not glory now and reproach then. No. Reproach now. How is our hearts divided? Or single-minded in the pursuit of our life, our career, or surrendered? Are we logical? Or we are able to stand before God every day and say, Lord, you don't know me. I know myself so well, Lord. Doesn't matter how much I have grown. One thing I know, your ways are so much higher than my ways. I need your direction today, again, all over again. Start the clock. I will not do one thing without knowing you. Well, teach me, Lord. Teach me. Teach me. Teach me. Be careful, church, how we walk. Be careful, quick to repent, quick to correct. Walk closely with him. You will reach your destination because that hand has never failed anyone. We have failed him. That hand has never failed. Don't let pressure decide what you do. Don't let pressure, because pressure is not going to decrease. It's only going to increase. Let not pressure make you decide what choices you are going to make. Your choices should be made. Because you know him and you encountered him. And you know him personally. Shall we stand? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we stand before thee as a body. Only you know how many hearts, how many souls are yoked with yours. You know the hearts that are surrendered. The hearts that are single in the pursuit of their own dreams. The hearts that are divided. Only you know, Lord. Only you know. And I pray, Father, you will work in every heart. Every heart. You will make the divided single. The single surrendered. And ultimately every heart will surrender before you come, Lord, before you come. Because after you come, every knee will bow, every tongue will surrender. But before you come, I Father, I pray there would be complete surrender in the lives of all your people. That Christ may have a body on earth when he comes to take a bride. Totally Surrender to the will of a husband. A bride who from her heart truly seeks and cries, Maranatha, come my Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Create that desire, hunger in every heart. Every heart, Lord. We come at your church, your persecuted church around the world. Be with them. Strengthen them. That nobody recants. Nobody goes back. Everyone holds firmly to the faith even to the point of death, Lord. That the race they have run will not go in vain. Be with those who are ill in the body. Struggling in their mind. Strengthen them, Lord. You are the balm of Gilead. You are the lover of our soul. The shepherd of our soul. Strengthen. Each one, Lord. As we go into another week, the rest of the month, go before us. You have to go before us, Lord. Because we haven't gone this way before. What lies ahead, we do not know. All we ask is, may your presence go with us. Go with us each day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. As your servant, as you instructed Moses, I just bless your people. I just bless your people that your face will shine upon them. Your countenance will shine upon them that what we reflect is what we see on your face in our lives, O Lord. We have nothing to show but what you give us. Nothing else, Lord. Let your light shine upon each face through this week, through this month until you come. Thank you. Thank you, Father. I just bless your holy name. I just bless your holy name. I just bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.